Like Boaz, I was single late into my life. And along the way, I had a number of, let's say, well-intending people who tried to play matchmaker. I uh, have my suspicions that Naomi was something of a matchmaker, too. The start of our text reveals Naomi nudging Ruth toward a husband and a provider. She wants to ensure that Ruth marries Boaz. After all, chapter 2 and verse 20 had revealed him as a possible kinsman redeemer, the Hebrew goel, kinsman redeemer was the nearest male relative assigned to restore or to preserve the full community rights of a disadvantaged Hebrew family member. The precise functions of a kinsman redeemer involved one, according to Leviticus 25 and verse 25, to secure redemption of a relative in need by redeeming his or her lost land. Two, According to Leviticus 25, verses 47 to 49, to secure salvation by buying back a relative who had voluntarily sold him or herself into slavery. Three, according to Numbers 35, 16 to 21, to secure vindication by avenging the blood of a murdered relative. Additionally, if the kinsman redeemer was the brother of a widow, we find in Genesis chapter 38, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 25, that the brother was expected to provide an heir to his widowed sister-in-law. This was a condition known as a leveret marriage. So Naomi enacts a plan for Ruth to enter into a form of a leveret marriage with Boaz, a process that I am sure Naomi had explained to her daughter-in-law. Boaz was going to be on the threshing floor through the night because they would choose to winnow the gathered barley and wheat crops during the cooler evening hours instead of the hot gusts of the day. Naomi tells Ruth to wash to dress herself in such a way to let Boaz know that her time of mourning has passed. She is ready to marry. Ruth shows profound loyalty to Naomi by following these directives. It was Ruth's reputation, after all, that was being put on the line. It was Ruth's purity that was at stake. But it also suggests that Ruth holds profound trust in Boaz and his integrity. Consider the woman who went to wash Jesus' feet with her hair in Luke chapter 7. She was willing to risk Everything because she knew the character of the man involved. And so it is that Ruth knows the character of Boaz. He was the kind of man who had hidden the word of God in his heart that he might not sin against God. He was the kind of man who was saturated with a concern for God's glory and the well-being of others. As a teenager, the 18th century theologian and preacher Jonathan Edwards penned a series of resolutions. One of those resolutions read, Resolved, 
never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. I believe that Boaz could have made a resolution like that. And I think in the course of events that Boaz's feet get cold. It would explain why he awakens and bends forward to reach for some covers. In doing so, he is startled to see the shape of a woman. Sinclair Ferguson explains, in a really, really rural area, you can put your hand up to your face but see nothing. It's that kind of darkness that Bethlehem experiences. It's that kind of darkness in which Ruth is told to act. It's that kind of darkness that the tension-packed danger point of our story takes place. And it's at that part of our story that Boaz's godliness shines. And at this point, Ruth does not technically do exactly as Naomi instructed. In verse 4, Naomi had told Ruth to uncover his feet, to lie down, and to listen to what Boaz says to do. While Ruth had carried out the first two directives exactly, she does not wait for Boaz to speak. Instead, Ruth asks him to do something straight away. She asks for Boaz to spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Her proposal echoes the words that the Lord himself will speak in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 8. He says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my bow to you and entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Ruth is asking for Boaz to be her provider and her protector, for Boaz to be the answer of the prayer that he had prayed over her the first time that they had encountered. She is requesting a leveret marriage right then and there, even though it's not technically in accordance with the letter of the law. The fact that Ruth is asking for him to marry her on the spot I think is supported by a literal rendering of chapter 3 in verse 16, where Naomi asked her, Who are you now, my daughter? In other words, you went out a single woman. Have you come back a married one? If Ruth had gone out with any immoral intent at all, her actions would undermine the book's purpose of defending David's kinship and his rightful reign. It would have been such a case that the book of Ruth would not have been in the canon at all. Far from being immoral, the way that Ruth approaches Boaz is actually quite noble. In fact, Boaz states that Ruth's proposal demonstrates her greatest loving kindness toward Naomi to date. Ruth was not obligated to marry Boaz, or for that matter, anyone in the line of Lamech. 
She could have pursued courtship with a younger man of her choosing while she was in no way bound to a leveret marriage. Her decision to seek out a benefactor was motivated by her desire to carry on her deceased husband's name and to ensure Naomi's well-being. The word redeem or redeemer appears a total of three times in verses 12 and 13. And I have no doubt that Boaz desired to fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer in this precise moment. But he is such an honest and faithful man that he refuses to proceed out of order. Boaz reveals that there is a closer relative who must first be given the opportunity to take on this role. He practices self-discipline by putting obedience, obedience to God, ahead of romantic interest. And Boaz does not send Ruth away at this point in the evening because she, he would not want anyone to see her and wonder why she had wandered into the threshing floor in the midnight hour. Thus she remained at his side until just before the sunrise. Neither Boaz nor Ruth would have slept well. Not only would there have still been some sexual tension, a great deal more would have been on their minds. What would happen at the daybreak when Boaz went to the city gate? How would this situation find its resolution? The word empty appears twice in the book of Ruth. In chapter 1 and verse 21, Naomi says that the Lord brought her back to Bethlehem empty. No husband, no sons, no land. Now in chapter 3 and verse 17, Ruth tells Naomi how Boaz instructed her not to go back empty-handed to her mother-in-law. Six measures or scoops of barley from verse 15 is repeated in verse 17. The message is clear. Boaz is saying, one way or another, I promise to redeem and to provide for what you and Ruth need. This is but a down payment toward meeting that need. And this message is not lost on Naomi. Although Naomi is an individual who likes to try to control outcomes, and who among us does not? Here she relinquishes that tendency and places confidence in Boaz. The counsel she provides to Ruth is simply this, wait, trust. Ruth is only human. So I imagine waiting the outcome is difficult, but I also imagine that she has a quiet assurance about her. A person who knows the character of her kinsman redeemer can reach such a place of confident surrender. Yahweh promises to save. He promises to redeem. He promises to vindicate his people, and these promises find their amen in Christ Jesus. And the narrative of Ruth reveals to us what Jesus Christ does 
as our true kinsman redeemer. We were made in the image of God. We were the crown of his creation. And yet we voluntarily sold ourselves into slavery to sin. We lost access to the Father's presence and to the Garden of Eden's land. And this story unfolds from our first parents who were deceived by Satan, the great murderer and liar. And still the eternal Son of God voluntarily came in flesh and died on Calvary's hill to buy us back from that slavery to sin. As our true kinsman redeemer, Jesus provides our salvation. Yes, Calvary covers it all. And in buying us back, the Son of God restores access to the Father and to the eternal land of promise. As our true kinsman redeemer, Jesus provides our redemption. Indeed, that is why I will sing of my Redeemer. And through the Son of God's victory over death, he avenges us from the deceit and accusations of the devil. As our true kinsman redeemer, Jesus provides our vindication. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. So just as Ruth beseeched Boaz to become her bridegroom and to act as her kinsman redeemer, won't you turn to Christ, the true kinsman redeemer? Jesus will by no means turn you away. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will vindicate you. No one can do that except for Jesus. So we can wait on Jesus and we can trust him even more than Naomi and Ruth could trust Boaz. U.S. Naval Chaplain Jonathan Alexander puts surrendering control to the person of Christ and to his fulfillment of Yahweh's promises into practical perspective. And I just want to paraphrase his words this morning. We all long for redemption. We all long for a way out of the hopelessness that this life and this world around us throws our way. The people of Israel felt hopeless as foreign armies continually invaded their lands. The early disciples felt hopeless after their friend and their Christ was nailed to a cross and buried into a borrowed tomb. Hopeless. It is what you might feel when you lose your job. Hopeless. It is what you might feel when your marriage starts to drift toward isolation and estrangement. It is what you might feel when sin seems to strangle the life and joy out of you. It is what you might feel when you cannot connect with your teenager. It is what you might feel when your husband gets cancer or some unidentifiable illness like Ron Stafford is dealing with right now. 
In the midst of feeling hopeless, Jesus is the long-awaited answer. He is the answer to the promise that God will present with us through all of the will be present with us through all the difficulties and challenges of your life. But here's the catch. Jesus has already answered those promises. He has rescued us from sin and death and brought us to a place of life and fullness in Him that grows as we continue to press more into Him. But in some ways, we still have to wait. There are many experiences in our life when we simply have to trust Him. Yet often in that waiting, if we're honest, we want to jump the gun. We want to take care of it ourselves. But when you've lost your job, wait on Jesus because he's the answer. When your marriage is teetering on the edge or it's falling apart, wait on Jesus. He is the answer. When your teenager won't talk to you, wait on Jesus because he is the answer. When your spouse is dealing with a scary diagnosis, wait on Jesus because he is the answer. And I realize, I do, that many people, it might seem to them like this is an oversimplification to say that Jesus is the answer. But Christ is the light that shines through the darkness of this world. And he is the light that shines through and in your darkness. Consider how the book of Ruth's turning point takes place at night with the presentation of a bride in chapter 3 and verse 8. But this marriage will not be consummated until daytime. In this way, and this is beautiful. In this way, Ruth chapter 3 is a symbol of our salvation. You see, Boaz promises Ruth redemption amid the darkness, but it will not be fulfilled until the light of day. And Naomi assures Ruth that Boaz will not rest until he has redeemed her. Friends, Christ would not rest until he had completed the work that his father sent him to do. And yes, I know that Christ went to the cross during daytime hours, but we read in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and 45, that darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. So you see, Jesus dies in utter darkness at the cross, and he is then placed in utter darkness in a tomb. But we're looking ahead to Easter, aren't we? Amen. And Christ does not stay in the darkness of that tomb. But in the morning light, in the break of day, He ushers forth His church. He enters in to relationship with his bride. And it is where the kinsman redeemer finds its fulfillment. It is where the matter of redemption is fully settled. No doubt the structure of our redemption moves from darkness into light. 
First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him. And underline this, hear this, who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Today, Today, I invite you, no matter what your circumstance, to step out of the darkness and step into the wonderful light that Christ Jesus ensures. Christ shines through your darkness. And I pray you cling to that. You believe that because he is your savior, your redeemer, and he will vindicate you from the lies of the wicked one. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for covering us with your blood. And thank you for making a way for us to be restored to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Spirit of God, when we seek to try to take control of things ourselves, let us wait, let us trust, let us believe that you will shine a light through our darkness. Be glorified here among your people, Christ, we pray in your name. Amen.